Obey your leaders and submit to them. It's either really crazy, a really crazy coincidence or a genius plan that our church leadership asked me to tell you to obey them and submit to them. It's funny how they, that happened. Pretty convenient, but um, I promise you, I'm not a hired gun this morning. I, I, I didn't get a list of things, to, of grievances from the elders. Um, this is not prescriptive. I'm not speaking to a problem here. I'm just, we're just finishing up Hebrews, right? So this writer is closing out Hebrews, and he is speaking a lot like, in this last chapter, a lot like a parent does to a teenager when they're about to leave the house, right? He's speaking to their behavior. You know, be safe, be good, treat people nice, that whole thing. You're leaving me, I'm not gonna be with you. And so he's speaking to them um, with, some, with some weight of a parent's heart uh, and, and addressing their behavior. And apparently, they had a hard time with leadership. Uh, this, this Hebrew church had a hard time submitting to and following their leaders. Anytime we talk about submitting, and we use that word submit, it's a hot, hot topic. It's a, a hot button word. Um, anytime I've had the privilege of preaching Ephesians 5, and there's that phrase in there, husband, I meant wives, submit to your husbands. And it feels like when I've preached on that, that word and that phrase, it feels like I'm holding a hand grenade and somebody ran by and pulled the pin. And I'm sitting there with wives, submit to your husbands. And so I think the reason this can also be difficult to think about submitting to leadership, especially church leadership, is that maybe not all the leadership that you've experienced has been very good. Or maybe it hasn't been very biblical. Or maybe it's even been abusive. And maybe you can think back to other leaders outside the church. A leader like a coach or a teacher or a parent even that may leave a bad taste in your mouth about leadership, about being led. And the thought of submitting yourself to someone and obeying them and following them might be a little scary. It might be scary. And, and you need to know this morning that that's okay. It's okay that it's scary because it's not easy. It's difficult to, for us to submit ourselves to anyone else besides our own self, especially in the church, and especially if you've had a bad experience. It can be very scary. Not all leadership has been good. Um, but really, we're not afraid to submit, right? We, we submit to things that we think are gonna be awesome, right? We, we submit to things that we want. We submit to things that we think will go really well. Like, I, would, I really have no problem submitting myself to a loan application and payments for a boat. That's fun. I mean, I don't have any problem submitting myself. Sign me up. What's the payment plan, right? Newlyweds, cannot wait to get married. Sign them up. Get us married. It's going to be awesome. And it is, most of the time, awesome. But it's hard. And it can get messy, right? It takes work. And it can even be ugly. 
So down the road, when things get worn and things get hard, it takes work. And so submitting to something that you know might not be easy, submitting to something that might get messy, is scary. Jonathan Lehman calls it submitting to ugliness. And this is, this is what he means by that, submitting to ugliness, knowing that something can get messy, even though it's scary, I submit to it because it has the potential to be beautiful. Listen to his quote. What's unexpected about Christianity is that its hero doesn't risk all for the damsel in distress, but for what the Bible likens to a harlot. Then he calls everyone that he saves to submit themselves to this same harlot. The bride still being made ready, the church. So what, what he means by this is we are prone to wonder. We are not the perfect bride yet, right? We haven't been glorified with Jesus quite yet. We are being sanctified in him. So we're in process, but we're not there yet. And so we're prone to leave him we're prone to wander from him, and it takes the gospel and the church to keep us persevering. It takes the gospel and the church to help us and hold us accountable to follow our leaders in such a way that it's not grievous for them. That's what this passage says. So that it's a joy to lead you, follow them, submit to them, obey them. We're going to look at how we do that here in just a minute, but it's only through Christ that he can transform us into people who can follow, and it's only through Christ that he can transform our leaders to be the leaders that we need them to be. He is the one that transforms them, he transforms us, and then when he transforms us together and we walk in the gospel together, it moves from being something scary and ugly and it becomes something beautiful. And it's the bride putting on display what Christ can do in our own hearts. So yes, submitting, it isn't easy. And yep, it can be scary, but it can be beautiful. And this passage also tells us it's not just that it can be beautiful, it could be of great advantage to you and to me. When our leaders are leading biblically and when we're following and submitting, it turns something scary, potentially ugly, Something hard into something beautiful. The second phrase that he has here that he, in, in this passage. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Keeping watch over your souls. In regards to submitting to leaders, um, Many scholars think that the writer here is talking about any kind of leader, like just submit and follow and obey any leader that God places in your life. But I, I think it's sp speaking specifically about the church and its elders because it mentions souls. This implies the eternal impact. Keeping watch over your soul has eternal implications. And for the elder, for the pastor, it's a heavy weight. It's a weight that he, he, he has to walk with and live with daily and weekly to be concerned about your eternity, to be concerned about not just your temporal needs, not just how your family is going, how your marriage is going, but how is your soul doing? And it's a weighty thing. 
Consider what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He's speaking to the elders here at Ephesus, and this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. So what he's saying to the elders is, Jesus bought this church with his life and his blood. You better take care of it. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty serious. And not only that, you be very careful about how you live. You, be, you pay gr- great attention to what you say, how you move, how you spend your money. You, you be, be careful with yourself and you be careful with this flock. You take great care. So the weight of keeping watch over souls is no light matter. Consider James chapter 3. James is um, talking about the tongue. And you probably all remember that, this passage where he says, the tongue will do what? It'll burn down a forest. It's a fire. And our words can be so destructive. And so for the pastor and the teacher, they have to be very careful, extremely careful with what they say. It says this, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that's not implying some future judgment. That's the here and now. What he, in other words, if you're gonna be a teacher, you're gonna be under greater scrutiny. If you're gonna be a leader, you're gonna be under greater scrutiny. And it's not for everybody. You're gonna be under greater scrutiny, and you should be. You should be because it takes great care and great attention to shepherd and oversee God's people. You better pay attention to your life and yourself, and you care for them as well. The, the only thing that I can really, um, that really illustrates it for me, and, and maybe it goes hand in hand and is extremely connected to leading the church, is parenting. So, you know, some of you may be thinking about parenting someday and having kids. A lot of you have kids, a lot of kids in here, right? And some of you have had kids. And I think all of us can relate to the burden that we want these children to profess Christ, right? And be baptized and stay in the church and keep going and don't fall away from him. And that's a heavy burden for a parent because you can't really manipulate it. You can't create it. You have to trust the spirit to develop it, but you're doing everything you can to teach and to speak into it. And it's, it's hard. It's not easy. It can be frustrating. It can be scary. But it's a burden that you have as a parent. And think about the voices that your child may hear. The influences, right? Media outlets that your student, your child can hear, hear from. And you're, and you're thinking as a parent, boy, I hope they're not listening to that. I hope they're not being influenced by that. I hope they don't listen to that. And so that same thinking, that same burden... That same call for the pastor is that he's doing that with his kids, right? He's burdened for his own children, for his own marriage, for his own family. And then he takes responsibility for the outcomes of the same things in your family. 
and your family, your family, and you individually. So you see the pastor is walking. The elder is walking in this call. It's a beautiful privilege. Walking in this call to watch over your soul, just like parenting. And I, Scott mentioned that, um, I'm not, that I've been a pastor for decades. Um, I, I was an uh, elder at the church that started this church. And um, I was in this role, formally appointed as an elder. And I can tell you, in, the, in a few years, not being in that appointed role, I still feel this weight of keeping watch over souls. However, not being appointed to that, there's a difference. And I can feel it, right? The Lord has given a sabbatical season for me to not hold on to that being directly responsible, making the decisions of where this church will go, where it'll build, where it won't build. Now, where's the land at? Are we gonna, are we gonna have land? How do, you, how, do you, how do you have this many people worship together on one Sunday? The weight of that shepherding being off of me, there's a difference. And it's been a good rest, but that rest is from keeping watch over directly people's souls. And it's a heavy weight. So I think what will help us is to look at the ways the Bible speaks about the pastor in three ways. Okay, there's three terms that the Bible uses for pastor, and I think we need to define them. The first one is elder. What are these guys doing? What are we expecting them to do? Well, the elder sets the moral authority. It implies that he has some wisdom, he has some experience, and he's a good source of counsel, biblical counsel. Shepherd. They lead the sheep from place to place keeping them from wandering off and they protect the sheep. The overseer, watching over things and or people and taking responsibility for the outcome. I think that's the, that's the weightiest part for me is taking responsibility for what happens in and around your soul. Jesus in John chapter 10, he calls himself the good shepherd. And so he lists why he's the good shepherd. And one of the things he says is that I own my sheep. I take ownership of my sheep. He says the bad shepherd is the hired hand. Somebody's just hired to come watch the sheep. They don't own the sheep. What do they do? They show up for work. They're not invested in these sheep. They're just supposed to watch them. Shows up for work, and then when he's done watching, he goes home. The hired hand, the hired shepherd, doesn't take ownership. He just takes a paycheck. So a good pastor takes ownership of his sheep. Just to give you a little um, window into what, how this plays out for a pastor, right? So let's take preparing to preach, for example. Uh, preparing to preach, having, uh, watching over your soul, keeping watch over your soul plays in to even preparing a sermon because you're thinking, well, I, I want them to hear me. I want them to learn. I want them to be discipled through this sermon. I want them to hear the gospel again. I gotta make sure that I'm, I don't just give them an eight-minute devotional, right? But I also don't wanna talk for an hour and 10 minutes of a bunch of information and I lost them at minute 31. So it takes work. I'm, I'm thinking about your soul. We're thinking about your soul when we're preparing these, these messages, and when we're exposing these passages, we want you to understand what the Bible says and the instruction that God gives. And we want it to be clear, 
and we want it to form you. We want it to form our church. Does that make sense? I think about the directions of the church. This new building coming up, the land. Where are we gonna meet? When are we gonna build? How are we gonna build it? All those are very weighty decisions about how to move us forward as a church from place to place, watching over us and protecting us along the way. Those are heavy decisions. I mentioned the kids in the media outlets a while ago. For a pastor, knowing that you are all exposed to media outlets and you as parents and adults are exposed to a ton of influence. And I'm not just speaking about secular influence, but even in the Christian subculture, there are things we would rather you not listen to. <laughs> there are things that aren't biblical that are called Christian. They may be inspirational, but they're not biblical. And so when we hear you say things or post something, then the pastor's heart cringes. And then we have to go and shepherd that and speak to it. And then it's ancient anxiety-ridden because what if you get mad? What if you say that you love that person and they make you feel great about your walk and they've helped you and you're just trying to speak truth and love? And then you have to be careful how you say it. So this work of pastoring is a heavy weight of keeping watch over your soul. And then there's always the opportunity to confront sin. Confront a sinful pattern in someone's life. Boy, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's real fun to go and confront sin, right? That is so difficult because you're wondering how will they respond? Will they listen? Will they receive this? The cool thing about all this at Cross Point Community is that our community group leaders, we disperse a lot of this shepherding through them. That's the great thing about community groups is that we disperse a good bit of this shepherding into your group and your community group leaders. However, the fact remains that the elder is ultimately taking responsibility for the outcomes. And that's a heavy weight to carry. Okay, so how do we do this? Three application points for this morning. How do we do this? How do we follow well? How do we follow these leaders who are keeping watch over our soul? Number one, we expect them to lead well. Expect them to lead well. Expect them to lead biblically. Expect them to be wise, ready with counsel, speak to morality, shepherd us well, and we expect them to take responsibility for the outcomes in and around our life. I think it would help us to look at, if we're, if we're wondering what we're holding them accountable to and what we're expecting from them, then we need to look at the qualifications for the elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This isn't a sermon exposing the qualifications of the elder, but this is something I think that would help us. Let's just look at the qualifications. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of the overseer, he desires a noble task. So the first way to hold them accountable is they want to do it. Can't make somebody do this, even if you think they'd be good at it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded and self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. 
For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So, if these elders, it's a long list. We need, well, you need to be familiar with that, the qualifications for our elders. You need to, we need to remain familiar with these qualifications. Because if they're being held accountable by God, who holds them accountable? The church does. We do. We hold them accountable to be the leader that we need. And if we expect them to be that, we're well on our way to keeping good leaders and being good followers. And that's point number two is to apply grace to our leaders. And there's, there's two aspects of applying grace. Holding our elders accountable, paying attention, like Paul said to Timothy, pay attention to what these preachers are saying, pay attention to what they're doing and how they're living, and be careful, and don't listen to this guy. He's just talking about genealogies and trying to be impressive and draw a crowd. Don't listen to him. You listen to the ones that are preaching the gospel and that are qualified. And so holding them accountable is being gracious, not only to them, but it's being gracious to the church because it saves the church damage when we hold them accountable. And then secondly, under applying them a, a grace to our elders is just examine your preferences. There's a ton of preferences in here, right? Different ways of, different thoughts on raising your children, on educating your children, eating, drinking, dieting, exercise, lots of different preferences that we bring in here. And I think it would do, we would do well to examine the preferences that we have about church and about leadership and about preaching and teaching and make sure it's biblical. And be careful with the non-negotiables. I mean, the negotiables. We hold to the non-negotiables of the gospel being preached here. But if they're negotiable, let's be careful with our preferences. Because here's what happens. When I examine my preferences and I'm careful not to let them override what's biblical, it keeps me from being overly critical. If my preferences are in check, I'm not, over, I'm not gonna be overly critical. It doesn't mean you can't be critical. I'm not saying that. But I'm not overly critical when I keep my preferences in check. And number three, enjoy your leadership. Verse 18 says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably, in all things. If we expect our leadership to be these things, we expect our pastors to be these three things and we hold them accountable to it and we apply grace to them and we pray for them, we're gonna be well on our way to being good followers and we are gonna set them up to be good leaders. And he can take something then that seems so scary to submit to church leaders. And he can take something that seems scary and has the potential to be so ugly and he can make it beautiful. Let's pray. God, you are good to give us the gift of leadership. It's grace that you give us leaders who are qualified. 
and preach the gospel to us. I pray that you would um, continue to allow our pastors to feel the weight, our community group leaders to feel the weight, our deacons to feel the weight, our teachers to feel the weight of caring for souls. And that this church would continue to hold them accountable to that so that when people get around the aroma of what's going on here, they'll want to be a part of it and that Christ would be made much of because we have leaders that are leading well and we are a church that's following well and it looks beautiful and it may be a picture of what you will ultimately do with us one day and that's glorify us with you, Jesus. God, it's, um, it's a privilege to be able to preach and teach. It's a privilege to be able to shepherd and oversee. But I pray that you would keep us in check, keep us holding our elders accountable, and that as elders we would continue to shepherd as men responsible for the outcome. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.